0: This episode of For Real is brought to you by TBR, Book Riot subscription service offering reading recommendations personalized to your reading life. Want great new nonfiction books to read but overwhelmed by all the publishing buzz? Let us help. Tell TBR about your reading likes and dislikes and what you're looking for and sit back while your bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for you. TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email, so there's an option for every budget. Sign up only takes a few minutes. You answer a couple questions about what you like to read, what you're looking for, link up to your Goodreads profile if you have one, and you're done. TBR subscribers are matched to bibliologists based on their requests. So if you love thrillers, you want to read more romance, you're looking for poetry by writers of color, maybe also some space opera, we've got someone who knows just what to choose for you. Each TBR delivery contains three titles in the recommendations only level or three new hardcovers, and you'll receive a new shipment every three months. Hardcovers are available in the U.S. TBR is also available as a gift. Visit mytbr.co to sign up today. That's mytbr.co. Welcome to For Real, a bi-weekly nonfiction books podcast that puts the spotlight on books that tell it like it is. Or try to. We'll cover new releases, backlist finds, and more. For Real is a book riot podcast and is hosted by me, Alice Burton, and fellow rioter Kim Yukara. We're recording on Tuesday, September 21st. Hi, Kim. Hello, Alice. How are you today? I keep thinking something important is happening on like September 21st or 22nd, and I don't know why, and it's bothering me. Oh. I feel like maybe I have a lot of Virgo friends, and so September just makes me paranoid.
1: (laughs) Maybe. September 21st is the date in an Earth, Wind, and Fire song. Oh,
0: I didn't know that.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I I should have looked up what the song title was. Someone at my work shared it today. I think it's... The song September, yes, do you remember 21st Night of September is the opening line of September by Earth, Wind, and
0: Fire. Is it like, is it like the autumnal equinox?
1: I I don't think so.
0: When is that? I don't, I don't know. Oh, we should, we should know more things about our planet. Probably, yeah. How
1: are you doing? I'm doing okay. We're doing some home renovations right now, so I'm a little tired and sore from that and feeling discombobulated by
0: having things kind of all out of place while we're in the middle of the project, but, but all right. Okay, I looked it up. The autumnal equinox is September 22nd.
1: Oh, my gosh. Wow. So not today, but tomorrow. Soon, soon from the day we're recording this. Yeah. Wow.
0: <laughs> what a great fun fact. <laughs> it's been a fun month. Okay.
1: Indeed it has. Indeed it has. Do you have any any follow-up or any – want to share a little bit about what you're reading right now?
0: What am I reading right now? I'm reading uh, – I've talked about The Girls a while ago by Emma Klein. I mm-hmm. put that down for a while, and then I started reading it. And then I started reading about the Tate LaBianca murders a little more because of that. So that's been kind of my nonfiction. I've also, in the morning, tried to not scroll Twitter because it's very panic-inducing. But Mm -hmm. instead, I've been trying to go on Wikipedia and read like some random articles (laughs) so that instead in the morning, I feel like I am learning something. So I've been reading about uh, like the 16th century in Spain. Well, that is a
1: that is such a good idea. That is a much better and less anxiety inducing uh, habit than scrolling Twitter. Yeah, I'm enjoying it so far. That's great. That's great. I do not have any good lifestyle habits like that to report right now.
0: It's been a hard here.
1: Indeed, it has. Indeed, it has. All right. So before we get started, we're going to share about our first sponsor. Uh, this week's episode is sponsored by American Time Bomb by Joshua Melville. A few stories are more central to understanding our history of racially biased incarceration and violent social activism than the life of Sam Melville. This memoir by Melville Sun opened a window into the personal life of a legend, revealing the universal and all-too-human foibles motivating those driven to make change through violence. American Time Bomb is the son's personal portrait based on years of investigation of Melville's story. So that is American Time Bomb by Joshua Melville, and we thank them for sponsoring this week. All right, our first topic of this week is some nonfiction in the news. We have a couple of articles to share. Um, the first one is one of our very favorite things, which is to talk about book award long lists, and we have finally got the National Book Award long list.
0: Yes, it is very exciting. Uh, NPR has the Full list for nonfiction, there's also fiction and poetry in Young Adult, which is exciting, but we're only talking about nonfiction here, <laughs> so <laughs> you can look that up. So the nonfiction list is A Little Devil in America, Notes in Praise of Black Performance by Hanif Abdurraqib. Running Out in Search of Water on the High Plains by Lucas Basir, Tastes Like War, a memoir by Grace M. Cho, The Groundbreaking, An American City in Its Search for Justice by Scott Ellsworth, Covered with Night, A Story of Murder and Indigenous Justice in Early America by Nicole Eustace, The Sum of Us, What Racism Costs Everyone and How We Can Prosper Together by Heather McGee. Didn't you love that one?
1: I did. Yes. Very good. Yeah.
0: The Free World, Art, and Thought in the Cold War by Louis Menand, All That She Carried, The Journey of Ashley's Sack, A Black Family Keepsake by Tia Miles, How the Word is Passed, A Reckoning with the History of Slavery Across America by Clint Smith, and The Black Civil War Soldier, A Visual History of Conflict and Citizenship by Deborah Willis. This is a great list.
1: It's such a good list, and I love – I love that there's some really big books, like books that I th- I feel like have gotten a lot of publicity, like How the Word Has Passed. I heard a lot about that book when it came out. But then a lot of stuff that feels like it's just kind of under the radar. So like Running Out, I hadn't really heard of. Ashley Sack, I've heard a little or uh, all that she carried. I've heard a little bit about, but not a ton. And so like, yeah, they just all sound great.
0: Yeah. Good job, National Book Awards. Noticing those books. Yes. So the finalists
1: for the National Book Awards, so we'll trim that long list down to finalists will be announced October 5th. And then the winners will be announced at a ceremony in November, November 17th. So a few more weeks till we learn the winners. Yay. All right. So our second article for this week is uh, about a, a really interesting book deal that got announced um, that I think sounds really exciting. So a uh, book uh, article or link to us from the New York Times uh, titled Historian of Race in America Gets an Unusual Four Book Deal. And so this is about Martha S. Jones, who is a professor at John Hopkins University. And she has a deal for four books with basic books, which is for what I can recall, like a four book deal, especially in nonfiction, like that doesn't really happen. Like you do it a couple books at a time. So that's a big deal. Is, I mean, did your recollection similar?
0: Oh, that like four books is a yeah. big di- Yeah, I don't think I've heard of that.
1: Yes. So she is going to be doing four books. The first one is going to be about an exploration of the history and legacy of slavery, sexual violence. Um, and I don't think they mentioned what the other ones might be, but... She also wrote a book called Vanguard, which is a political history of Black women that challenged popular narratives of the suffrage movement that came out last August, and uh, interestingly also came out when Kamala Harris was elected as America's first female vice president, so that was kind of a cool connection there. And she has these very, she does a lot of these really deeply researched history, especially around issues of race in America, so... I just I just think that all sounds really cool. I'm excited for a historian to get a four book deal like that. And also some of the topics that she may potentially be covering. I think that sounds cool.
0: Well, it's exciting that it's not someone like, I don't know, David (laughs) McCullough. You know what I mean? I feel like you always get these like old white men getting these like popular like big book deals. I was very excited about Martha S. Jones last year because we did not have a long book about the history of black women and the vote. And so I talked about Vanguard like Probably too much, but.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, duh. I should have known that you would have read that book, obviously. Yeah, so that'll be great. So we'll link the whole article that talks a little bit about her. Um, Exciting news for sure. Uh, And so with that, we will jump into our first regular segment, which is new nonfiction, books that are coming out now or soon or that we are excited about that we want to share. So uh, my first pick is a memoir. It's called America Calling, A Foreign Student in a Country of Possibility by Rajik Vandari. And it comes out, or came out September 14th from She Writes Press. And so Rajik Vandari grew up in India and um, came to the United States for graduate school. She, uh, when she came, she was following a boyfriend or her her partner who was coming to United States. So this memoir is about her experience as a foreign student at a major U.S. university, and her kind of lifelong experiences working with foreign students. Um, she works in education now, and so she has this experience as both a, a person who was a foreign student in the United States, and then now she works with international students. So she didn't think that she was going to come to the United States for school. She was, like, happy with her experiences uh, at school in India, and then um, her partner, and you know, wants her to come and encourages her to come, so she applies, and she comes to the United States. She gets a, an assistantship at a university, and then has to Navigate the United States having like no idea about how to be in the United States at all. She has a chapter where she's writing about how, like, she gets to the university and has to learn how to use a computer. And she had just never done that before because computers were not common in India at the time that she was a student and she had never learned to use them. And yet she was just expected to know all of these things. And so it's a little bit about culture shock and a little bit about kind of what it is like to become, get educated in the United States and then, you know, return back to India and what it is like there and kind of feeling out of place in those different areas and all of that. So um, I'm mostly in the like kind of personal memoir section of the book. I haven't gotten to a lot of her like research and looking at like the contemporary landscape for international students, but she's just really got like, a cool perspective on the whole thing in her memoirs. It's very easy to read. It's very personable. Just, like, kind of drops you into this experience that, like, many of us have been to college. And so, like, it's easy to sort of compare my college experience and, like, understand kind of what she's going through, but knowing that her perspective and her, like, frame of reference for all of it is so different. So um, I really like this one. It's really interesting. So it is America Calling, A Foreign Student in a Country of Possibility by Rajik Bhandari.
0: Ooh, that sounds really good. Also having, like, someone who has gone through the same process be able mm-hmm. to, like, t- like I don't know. It's just really helpful. So also doing something great there. Um, my first new book for this week is Please Don't Sit on My Bed in Your Outside Clothes, Essays <laughs> by Phoebe Robinson. This is uh, a Tiny Reparations book's books uh, new release. I-, I think it's one of the first ones that was announced for this imprint, uh-huh. right? This is the uh-huh. Roxanne Gay imprint. Um, Phoebe Robinson has written two other books, including You Can't Touch My Hair and Everything's Trash, But It's Okay, which the latter is the first book that I bought during quarantine. (laughs) Yes. Yes. um so please don't sit uh, sit on my bed in your outside clothes is uh basically her like continuing you know the sort of essay format she talks about stories about her mom and visiting uh Michelle Obama like with her mom uh zip going on a zip line and being you know like pretty wary about it, <laughs> which like I, <laughs> I totally understand there's so many ziplining accidents. Her favorite things about dating a white person from the UK and how the lack of black women in leadership positions fueled her to become the black lady boss of her dreams. Um, Some of the chapter titles, I just like I always love reading those because I feel like it gives you a good uh, sense of the person's voice, especially Mm -hmm. in like a comic book, a comic focused book. The introduction is 2020 was going to be my year. And then it says (laughs) LOL in parentheses. (laughs) (laughs) So like right off the bat, you're like, oh, yeah, great. I want to read this book. Uh, She has uh, a chapter called Yes, I have free time because I don't have kids. Black girl will travel. Hashtag Quarren Bay. We don't need another white savior. And self-care is not a candle and therapy is not a notebook. How we are doing the most and the absolute least at the same damn time. I'm just, like, so excited she has another book. I'm really excited she signed with Tiny Reparations Books and is kind of being, you know, one of their their first releases. So uh, mm-hmm. this is out now. So, again, Please Don't Sit on My Bed in Your Outside Clothes, essays by Phoebe Robinson. That's such a, a really good title also. Yeah. How do you feel about sitting on one's bed in outside clothes? You know, I
1: honestly had not even thought of it until – this title. And now I'm like, boy, that is kind of disgusting. Why would I do that? But it had not occurred to me before like 30 seconds ago.
0: I'm like absolutely anti-shoes. I don't think getting, I'm okay on top of like comforter in outside Mm. clothes, Mm -hmm. but like in terms of sheet touching, like absolutely not.
1: Yeah. I don't nap in my clothes usually. I usually put pajamas or sweatpants on if I'm going to like nap in bed. So I guess maybe I am anti-outside
0: clothes in bed. That's the thing. I think if you change your pants, then it's okay. <laughs> shirts are shirts are no big deal, but pants. Yeah, because you. I don't know. I guess you're leaning on stuff, but like, I, I feel like just pants are the bigger thing. i huh.
1: will get some listener feedback on this very pressing and important question.
0: I got some opinions
1: here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, my second pick is a, a twist as a turn a pivot, as you might say, called No Cure for Being Human and Other Truths I Need to Hear by Kate Bowler. It uh, comes out September 28th from Random House. And so Kate Bowler is a person that I have seen her books in a lot of different places of people being like sort of inspirational and not exactly like self help but sort of like... I always see them and like they remind me of the way that they're talked about in like Glennon Doyle's books. And so like I hadn't really read a lot by her, but um, this one a couple of people I follow on social media were kind of raving about it. And so I got the galley and I read it parts of it. And it is it's really interesting. So this is a book about kind of what happens when the things you hoped for and expected in your life are put on hold. And so the memoir part of it is... Kate Baller sort of was a person who like believed that like many of us do for a long time, like you can do anything and that you have unlimited choices. And then at 35, she was diagnosed with stage four cancer. And so in this book, she um, writes about, about her diagnosis or uh, initial diagnosis and then how she tries to move forward from that very serious diagnosis. Talks about how she minds the wisdom and absurdity of today's best life now advice industry and looks at why, like, all, all positivity and that, like, we can sort of, like, do whatever we want and we can get past our the fact that we are humans that are fallible and things happen to us. And tries to kind of explore what that means after this very serious diagnosis. She just, her writing is just, it is so straightforward and but also like emotional. Like I was just reading the introduction and I hadn't gotten very far at all. And I don't really know anything about her. And I was getting like teared up just sort of reading some of the things she was saying and being like, Oh man, you're like speaking right to some of the things that I'm like trying to wrap my head my own head around right now. So the book is about her diagnosis, about ambition and faith as she tries to sort of like come to terms with the idea that like our lives and our world, our lives are limited in many different ways, but we live in a world that tries to tell you that anything is possible. And how do you like reconcile sort of those two facts and those two messages? And so- it's, it's about a lot of those different things. And so I don't know how much – I mean, obviously, her cancer diagnosis is a huge part of the book. But I don't know, like – I'm not exactly sure how that plays into all of the other things she's exploring yet because I'm not super far into this one. But so far, I really like it. Um, so that is No Cure for Being Human and Other Truths I Need to Hear by Kate Bowler.
0: Um, that sounds like a a difficult book, but mm-hmm. a, a very moving one. Mm-hmm. And I support you in <laughs> – Supporting <laughs> that book, um I have another pivot, <laughs> as, as is our way with picking new releases. Uh, but yeah, so my other book is *True Raiders: The Untold Story of the 1909 Expedition to Find the Legendary Ark of the Covenant* by Brad Rika. I got really psyched about this title, and mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of weird stuff happened at the turn of the century before yes. World War One. Like people were bored. That's the sense I get. <laughs> And so they just did a lot of things that seem very um, outlandish looking back. But then it's fun to read about. So <laughs> this is pitched as uh, the Lost City of Z meets the Da Vinci Code, which is such a good pitch. Like, it is absolutely, yeah. I'm there for this. The, the encapsulation of it is that Monty Parker, who is this British nobleman, scalawag, whatever, was dared... <laughs> Sorry, again, this is like rich people being bored. He was dared by <laughs> Ava Astor to head a 1909 expedition to find the Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> and where were they that this happened? Oh, my gosh. By the way, oh, side note, I looked up Ava Astor because I was like, where does she figure in the whole Astor family? Hmm. Um, she was called the most beautiful woman in the world. She was married to John Jacob Astor, who was, okay, if you look her up, there's an entry on titanic.fandom.com. <laughs> Where I was like, what's going on? And she divorced J.J. Astor in like 1908 or something like that. And maybe 1910. And he remarried and he was on his honeymoon in Europe. And he was coming back from his honeymoon with his new wife on the Titanic. And that is where he died. So Ooh. Ava Astor kind of like, like started that whole domino effect, you know. <laughs> and she also did this apparently. She was just, just a <laughs> <laughs> mover and a shaker. She's a busy, bored, rich lady. Yeah. So basically, in 1908, Monty Parker was approached by a Finnish scholar named Walter Juvelius, which sure, who said that he had discovered a secret code in the Bible that revealed the location of the Ark of the Covenant. So he gets this, uh, quote, ragtag group of blue blood adventurers. <laughs> I just can't with this book. A renowned psychic and a Franciscan father, because sure, to engage in a secret excavation just outside the city walls of Jerusalem. I mean, did they find it? No. But (laughs) that's not the fun part. The fun part is the journey. And this is the Parker Expedition uh, in, again, 1909 to 1911. They were actually technically looking for the treasure from Solomon's Temple. Like that's where they were really sure that the secret Bible code was leading them was to the treasure from Solomon's Temple. I just love this. Um, it sounds like absolutely great 2021 Escapism. And uh, I support it. Again, that is True Raiders, the Untold Story of the 1909 Expedition to Find the Legendary Ark of the Covenant by Brad Rika. That sounds like
1: exactly what we need as 2021 Escapist reading. That is an excellent uh that is an excellent
0: pick. Right? I was just, I don't know, I was just looking at the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark, and because my friend wants us all to dress up as characters from 1981 movies for her birthday. And (laughs) (laughs) that movie came out in 81. So I was like, wow, this just ties right in uh, with Kim's birthday. Anyway. Let's talk about our second sponsor, which is On Assignment by James Larison. On Assignment is, speaking of exciting adventure stories, here's another one, is an exciting adventure story with personal drama and high stakes, as well as a glimpse behind the scenes of the highly regarded National Geographic brand. Jim and Elaine Larson spend years studying, exploring, and living in wild places, making more than 30 environmental films, most for the National Geographic Society. Uh, This is a thrilling adventure story full of risk and personal conflict, uh, it is also a touching look at the tender bonds that held the married couple together while they struggled to complete their many film assignments. Uh, this also touches on advocacy. Larison says, I believe the future of the entire planetary biological system, which includes human beings, depends on the preservation and conservation of wildlands and wildlife. Indeed, sir. Uh, so, again, that is On Assignment by James Larison. Thank you for sponsoring. Excellent. Do you want to know what Ava Astor's second name became after she remarried? Yes, please. She became Lady Ribblesdale. (laughs) God, I love that so much. It's real good. She didn't die till 1958. Wow. That's like, that's bizarre. Anyway, I just wanted to add that Lady Ribblesdale is pretty good. (laughs) So good.
1: All right, with that, we will switch gears into our weekly theme uh, for this week's episode. We wanted to talk about books for uh, National Hispanic Heritage Month, which is celebrated September fifteenth to October fifteenth and it is designed to recognize the achievements and contributions of hispanic American champions so before we get started, I went down a real rabbit hole when we first after we picked this topic, trying to understand like. What is Hispanic versus Latino? Because I did not really know like the difference between those terms. And so we'll link to a couple of articles, but I want to just share what I read in a NPR article by Lulu Garcia Navarro, which talks about Hispanic versus Latino, because they're not they're not interchangeable terms, but they are often used that way, particularly like in the U.S. census and the government documents, even though they perhaps shouldn't be. So Latino is defined as any person of Latin American descent residing in the United States. This is not to be confused with Latin Americans, which refers to the people actually living in Latin America right now. And then Hispanic is a term that refers to people who share the common language that is Spanish. It doesn't include countries like Brazil, where their main language is Portuguese. So Hispanic is a little bit more, it's, it's a complicated term. So uh, I just, I wanted to just mention that because I think as we were picking up books, they're ones that could be reflective of Hispanic or Latino authors, even though we're talking about Hispanic Heritage Month. So kind of use them to reflect uh, a variety of identities.
0: Anything else? No, I thought that was very well said.
1: All right, perfect. So my first pick is a really fun one that I had not heard of until I started kind of digging around to try and find books that I hadn't heard of before to talk about. Uh, and it's called Once Upon a Quinceañera, Coming of Age in the USA by Julia Alvarez. And it's a little older book. It came out in 2008. I could only find it as an ebook and an audiobook from my library. They are uh, digital. They didn't have print copies anymore, I imagine, because it's from 2008. But This is a book that just explores, like, the whole idea of a quinceañera, which is a celebration of a Latina girl's 15th birthday. Uh, And so she follows a bunch of different teenage girls through their quinceañeras and writes about kind of the whole experience and what it has become and what a quinceañera means to girls and what it means in the United States and how the United States has changed this, like, tradition that has a really long history in uh, Latina culture. So... A uh, quinceañera is a celebration where a girl becomes a woman. So there's like these huge gowns and they have big cakes and limousines and it can be super expensive and like more expensive than weddings sometimes. And so it's this huge rite of passage. And so she kind of um, models the book. She kind of follows one quinceañera of a young woman who lives in New York. But then she brings in um, a bunch of different quinceanera experiences to try and explore, like, what all of it means. And so she explains the traditions behind different quinceanera events and what the different, like, what these events mean to girls and what they mean to their parents and what they mean to their friends. And just trying to, like, understand how this kind of all changed and what it means. And uh, it's just really it's really good. Um, And she, Julia Alvarez, was an immigrant to the United States. And so she never had a big quinceañera. And so she is able to sort of um, embed her own experiences as a young Latina girl into discussing um, what a quinceañera means and how it affects young women. So uh, it's really fascinating. It reminds me a little bit of um, Cinderella Ate My Daughter by Peggy Orenstein, where it's talking about like princess culture a little bit too. Just like lots of really interesting stuff. And I, I just found it really fascinating. So Once Upon a Quinceañera, Coming of Age in the United States by Julia Alvarez. Oh, my gosh. I love that. There's just, like, so much good stuff in it. Like, it just touches on a ton of really interesting things.
0: Did you watch the episode of Superstore where they celebrated Amy's daughter's quinceañera and Jonas, like, ruined it? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, I also – um
1: one Day at a Time, which is that uh, Netflix remake show, they had a quinceañera, like, storyline and episode that was really fascinating, too. Oh, I need to watch One Day at a Time. It was really good. Everyone says that. Oh, gosh. Everyone is right.
0: <laughs> we could just also, it's just like books and TV. That's, that's the podcast. Yeah, it's fine. So I talked about this one before, but during I think like one of our Pride Month episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I hadn't finished it, and I was like, I recently finished it, and I super wanted to talk about it again because it's really good. And also, it came out in twenty twenty, and there's wasn't. That much hype for it because it was 2020. Mm-hmm. This is My Sister How One Sibling's Transition Changed Us Both by Selenus and Marisol Leva. Selenus Leva was on Orange is the New Black playing Gloria Mendoza. She's now on Diary of a Future President on Disney Plus, Aww. in case you wanted to give that a watch. And Marisol Leva is her little sister who was originally brought into um, Selenus's family as a foster child whom they adopted. Marisol came out as trans in her teen years and so what the way that they structure this memoir it's really interesting it's it's very much about the family like like the kind of the transition as it affects the family but then also from Marisol's perspective and so the like the um, narrative changes from Salinas's which is talking about how she was seeing the situation and how her family is reacting to then Marisol who's talking about it as a lived experience And then sometimes it'll be like, here's my perspective of this scene that happened in our lives. And then the other person shares theirs. And it's just really interesting Mm -hmm. and just really moving. And Marcel talks about basically at various points being – I think she ends up being homeless – and kind of having no resources and then getting connected with services. There's the Ali Forney Center in New York City that, like, sets her up with job training and, like, how to create a resume and all this stuff and kind of, like, gets her life together. There is a little bit about an emotionally and then a later physically abusive relationship. So just as an FYI. But it was just, I just felt like it was such a valuable perspective and I loved this, again, idea of of having it be like, these are these two perspectives on it and or at least experiences of the situation and how people handled it and how they like Salinas is like, I wish that I would have reacted differently in this one situation. And, and they also offer a lot of facts about the situation for trans people in the United States, um, particularly those of either Hispanic, Latinx descent. They are uh, they both have Dominican backgrounds. Salinas Leva is Cuban-Dominican. And I think... Marisol Leva is Afro-Dominican, but it's just like, oh, there's so much. And it's like, it's very like personably told. So it's also like a quick read because you just feel like you're just reading someone like telling you something in like a chat. Mm-hmm. So I just, I just really like this one. Um, again, that is My Sister, How One Sibling's Transition Changed Us Both by Celeneus and Marisol Leva. I'm really glad you brought that one
1: up again. I like, remember you talking about it, but I have forgotten that it was like told in that dual perspective style, which makes me really curious about it. Like, I think that's kind of a fascinating way of looking at it. Cause like memoirs are, I love memoirs, but they can be very like, sing, you know, single focus because it's just one person's opinion on something. And sometimes you really want to hear what somebody else who was there thinks about it. Yep. And how they like react similarly or react similarly or differently to situations. Cause I feel like sometimes memoirs, Memoirs don't do, like, reporting of the other perspectives, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that's a really cool way of doing that. Awesome pick. All right, so my next pick is one that I believe that we've talked about before, although I think not for a while. Uh, it's called The Line Becomes a River, Dispatches from the Border by Francisco Cantu, which came out in 2018. Uh, and this book got a lot of accolades when it came out. It was a top 10 book of the year by NPR and the Washington Post. It won the Los Angeles Times Book Prize in current interest. And it was a finalist for the National Book Critics Circle Nonfiction Award. So uh, it was very widely regarded and I really liked it. So I'm glad to be able to talk about it again. So Francisco Cantu grew up knowing that, like, the border, it says the border is in his blood. Uh, His mother was a park ranger, and the daughter was a Mexican immigrant. Uh, He was raised in the Southwest and kind of grew up knowing and knowing a lot about nature and that area. And so I think after college, he decides uh, to join the Border Patrol. And I can't remember exactly why he does it. I think it's in part to just sort of, like, understand that dynamic and also try to bring, like, his perspective to that group, And so he, as part of the border patrol, learns to track people who are trying to illegally cross the border in all kinds of weather and different conditions. They have to bring in dead bodies that they find and then also bring people that they apprehend into detention. And so he, he joins that and then obviously like becomes very conflicted about it and like wonders about like what his, what his contribution is to that whole idea and eventually decides to leave and go move on to something else, but then kind of has to go back and really re-examine like the immigration system again after um, a immigrant friend of his travels back to Mexico to visit his family and then is not able to return. And so he, that forces him sort of back to Expl- trying to understand the idea of like the border and what even like borders means again after this kind of personal experience again so it it's just it's really good uh, I think it also probably got the accolades that it did because in 2018 I mean for many years right like decades the, the border has been such a, especially the southern border of the United States has been so fraught and complicated and Just lots of different opinions and dehumanizing language and all sorts of conversations about it. And so I think like this book bringing some of those different perspectives together, you know, there's a lot of, I think, debate you could have about his His choice to join the Border Patrol and like whether the actions he takes later really can make up for that decision and how he has to try and kind of come to understand that. So just like a lot of complicated things going on as well that made an interesting read, I think. So uh, The Line Becomes a River, Dispatches from the Border by Francisco Cantu.
0: Yes, keeping that one front and center. Do it. (laughs) (laughs) I do. I do. I mean, it was like kind of I remember seeing it a lot. And then, yeah, you don't see it as often. But the bonus is that it's going to be more easily available at your library, Mm -hmm. which is exciting. My last pick is From Coveralls to Zoot Suits, The Lives of Mexican-American Women on the World War II Homefront by Elizabeth Rachel Escobedo. I thought, why not throw in an academic press book to this mix, you know, Uh, especially one that, okay. so this feels very like you have Rosie the Riveter and you had this whole idea of women going to work, especially in like the defense industries. But a lot of the time that is either focused on Anglo or African-American women, like when you're doing like scholarship on women in World War II. And I mean, yeah, I haven't seen anything about Mexican-American women in World mm-hmm. War II and like what they were doing. So I was super psyched to see this book. So at the time, these women were going to work at US Defense Industries, and we had all these population shifts happening. And Mexican American women found these new means along with all these other groups of women to exercise control over their lives in home and at work. And so in this, she looks at how uh, as war workers and volunteers, dance hostesses and zoot suitors, these young women and rebellious daughters used wartime conditions to serve the U.S. in its time of need and pursue their own desires. But also they had to, after the war, continue challenging workplace inequities, confronting family and communal resistance to their uh, broadening public presence. And so she's like really highlighting these voices that you just don't hear very often. One of the things that I wanted to talk about was uh, this whole thing about zoot suits, because as someone who was in eighth grade, I believe, when the song Zoot Suit Riot came out. (laughs) Do you remember that? Yep. Oh, my gosh. So I did not realize why ostensibly the zoot suit riots happened which you know a zoot suit it's like this very um high waisted very wide-legged but then tight cuffed trouser and then you had this long coat with these wide lapels and these padded shoulders and this was started in the uh, black community and then kind of spread but was also very big in the mexican-american community and so they were seen as anti-patriotic because they used so much fabric and so if, ah. like, you're wearing this during World War II, it was like, you know, you were not respecting this, you know, like, straightened circumstances, like, we all must give up things. Uh, you're wearing these baggy pants. Zoot suit riots, uh, there were a number of them in the 1940s. They are a series of racially motivated assaults by American servicemen upon Mexican-American youths. So it's like very particularly this community. But one of the things that I found from this book that I thought was fascinating was the word pachucas. They were Mexican-American women who wore zoot suits during World War II. And this, yeah, like I, I didn't know that. And it's, the zoot suit was, this is according to Wikipedia, is like a summary, but the zoot suit was the most salient identifying feature of Pachuquismo, which was a Mexican-American youth subculture. And this was emerged during this time of increased racism and the fight for Mexican-American rights and equality within Amer- American society. And so it says the uh, Pachuca Gangs. Like, the black widows and slick chicks wore these, like, they would wear fishnet stockings with these zoot suits. And, uh, but, like, some, the point that she makes in the book is that some women, they wore zoot suits and they were called pachucas, but they did not identify as being Pachu You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I just thought, like, all of this stuff that was happening and, like, history is so vast. And I just, I just love it. This is, oh, this is why I love books like this. Anyway, again... That is From Coveralls to Zoot Suits, The Lives of Mexican-American Women on the World War II Homefront by Elizabeth Rachel Escobedo.
1: Man, that sounds so good. I I so appreciate the way that you're able to pull in, like, these really interesting academic books because, like, that's just – that's not ever where my brain goes. Like, I am a library person and I kind of tend to read, like, more popular nonfiction. And so, like, you just pull some really great stuff that is, like, under the radar and, like, yeah, that just sounds awesome. What an interesting – piece of history to uncover. Oh, thanks, Kim. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I wanted to just do quick mentions of three other titles that I feel like I've talked about like too many times, so I didn't want to bring them up as like full mentions, but just other books by uh, authors that I think would fit the theme. Um, first one is In the Dream House by Carmen Maria Machado, which is an amazing memoir. Uh, it is about a queer relationship that is abusive. So if that is a, a trigger for you, that this is not a book to pick up, but it explores lots of different like styles and genres of writing to like understand this relationship. It's just it's so good. It's so good. Second one is The Undocumented Americans by Carla Conejo Villa Vicencio. Uh, which is a book about undocumented Americans by a young woman who kind of does some deep dive reporting. But there's a lot of like memoir and like not exactly genre experimentation, but kind of in it that I thought was really fascinating. Um, and then Ordinary Girls by Shakira Diaz, which is about a young Hispanic woman growing up, just a coming of age memoir that I also really liked. So uh, I just wanted to mention those before we close this out. Those are all good. Uh, and so with that, we will wrap up the podcast by talking about the books we're reading uh, right now at this very moment. So I, uh, I'm i between books again. I feel like that's been my thing the last like many episodes is being between books when we happen to be recording. But uh, the book I really do want to pick up this weekend is Harlem Shuffle by Colson Whitehead, which is fiction. But it is uh, his latest book. It just came out uh Last week, I think. Uh, and it's a book about uh, New York in the 1960s about a guy who has like a legitimate job and then kind of a side hustle crime business. And it's about his family and getting sucked into this like crime uh, area. So it's like... Marketed as like a little bit thrillery or like crime fiction-y, but also like a family story all set in Harlem. Uh, It sounds uh, really good, and Colson Whitehead is amazing, so I think it should be a great read. Uh, If I get to read this weekend, rather than doing home improvement projects, we shall see Harlem Shuffle by Colson Whitehead.
0: Oh, we have to talk later about your home improvement projects, because I'm interested. (laughs) I think I mentioned last time I was reading We Sold Our Souls by Grady Hendrix, an Mm -hmm. author I love. (laughs) <laughs> Grady Hendricks, don't do anything bad and have this reflect poorly on me later. So, then a lot of people were saying uh, who were reading the, his new book, which is um, no, I don't remember it. Oh, Final, it's like Final Girls Club or something, but support group. So, a lot of people who were reading that were also reading My Heart as a Chainsaw by Stephen Graham Jones, which is another horror ish book. He's a Native American author who wrote another horror book. That has the deer on the cover and I can never remember the name. <laughs> but anyway, so My Heart is a Chainsaw. I started it. It's a little scary. I don't know why I keep picking up horror fiction when I am very easily scared. But maybe such such are the times. Um. So yeah, that's very exciting. And I will report back on if I could keep reading or if it got too scary. <laughs> And with that, you can find us on social media. I am at It's Alice Time, and Kim is at Kim the Dork. Our amazing audio editing for this episode was done by Jen Zinc. Thank you so much, Jen. Yes, thank you, Jen. Uh, and if you have a
1: minute, we would love it if you would rate and review us on Apple Podcasts so people find us more easily. Uh, while you're there, you can follow us so you get new episodes the very minute that they come out. Uh, with that, I am Kim Uchara. And I'm Alice Burton. And we thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Four Real Podcast.